Welcome to the Officer Media Group Roll Call Podcast. Officer Roll Call is meant to inform and entertain. Now, let's get into this episode. Hello and welcome to the lineup, Officer Magazine's weekly roundup of law enforcement and police headlines of the week. My name is Joe Vince, Assistant Editor with Officer. And again, my co-host for this episode is... The happily retired Lieutenant Frank Borelli. And as the weather is starting to warm up, we're not going to waste any time. We're going to get right into it so we can break and enjoy our, our, our time outside, maybe. Amen. Um, I'm good with that. Just so we're going to start off with two stories today. They're they're sort of connected in a way. Um, late last week, a, um, a five people were killed in a shooting. Um, at a home after apparently an argument uh, ensued over gunshots fired. Um, and um, into this week, there was a manhunt that uh, extended um, throughout Texas. Um, and uh, officers uh, were able to find the suspect who had hi- was hiding under a pile of laundry in his sister- sister's house. Um, today they have also announced that there are so there have been several other arrests, um, in this case, uh, implying too that there, there might have been a, a larger network of friends and families trying, family trying to, uh, hide the suspect. Um, also this week, um, was a shooting in Atlanta at a medical building where, uh, a man apparently, looking to get some type of medical service there, became agitated, was with his mother, but then decided to open fire, killing one woman and injuring four others. Uh, again, a manhunt ensued. Uh, this individual uh, was captured late on Wednesday. Um, not many details as of the time we're making this recording have been released um, as far as why he had been why he opened fire and uh where law enforcement had found him um but frank it, I, we have talked about uh these types of shootings before on the lineup um this is the first time to my knowledge that we have taught we have we're discussing um cases like this that have involved manhunts and searches where the suspects um have fled the scene and have been at large and potentially endangering the public. Um, what did, how does that change how law enforcement then has to handle these active shooter situations when they move from sort of the central or the initial location? Well, so one of the things I want to point out, and, we, mm-hmm. and active shooters become such this all-encompassing term, um, you know, 20 years ago, 25 years ago, a shooting in a home uh, would not have been called an active shooter event. It would have been a mass murder event. Uh, a shooting in a hospital where the guy apparently didn't plan it, but something set him off and he happened to have a gun. So he shoots five people and then he leaves. That wouldn't have been called an active shooter event. An, an active shooter event, an active killer, ongoing threat where this person is actively engaging targets up until the moment where police arrive or he decides, well, I'm not going to get away with it and he shoots himself. I'm not sure that active shooter is the right term to apply to these unless 
law enforcement gets there and the person's still shooting. So but let's number one, let's be careful what we call active shooter. Mainstream media is going to call everything an active shooter. The FBI's definition of where four or more people get injured by a gunshot, active shooter. That's great. But if I walk into my family dinner, pull out my gun, kill 12 people around a table, I'm not an active shooter. I'm a mass murderer, just to my way of thinking. Anyway, set that aside. As to your question, what happens? How does it make things different? We, you know, we saw this down at uh, Marjorie Stone Douglas down in Parkland where the, the student went in, commits an active shooter event. The police officers get there. We won't even talk about that response because it was a cluster. But the, the person who did the shooting got out, and now we have to have the search for them. Um, this isn't actually anything new. Um, in San Bernardino a couple of years ago, there was a, a husband-wife team that did a shooting at a holiday party, and then they fled, and they did some more shootings in another place, and then they fled. When, when Once the shooter escapes into the neighborhood, and it's happened several times, different active shooter events, um, law enforcement still has to get to the original scene and clear that scene to make sure it's safe. And then they have to do the intelligence gathering and start trying to find the person, um, you know, whether that's next door or an ongoing highway chase or searching relatives houses. And I, it, I'm still choking on he hid this guy was found underneath a pile of laundry. How big yes. does that pile of laundry have to be? I'm, I'm sorry. I'm like, I do laundry twice a week. These people were what saving it up for a month. So there was enough the guy could hide under it. Anyway, it's well, a, it's, just, it's just a, to it's add a to that area, then it's it's a bigger challenge. It takes even more manpower. So, I don't know if I answered your question. Oh no, and I, I was going to add to that fact. He, his sister his sister lived in a town called Cut and Shoot, um, which seems to be a little on the nose if you're um, a suspect in this case. But um, I, I, again, I, I really asking the question too as as when we're seeing we've the the incidents that we've discussed again have been isolated to um to very very small geographic areas or or buildings and uh it's been law enforcement having to navigate that um and yeah it's the, now it becomes a larger area and you're dealing with more you're dealing with the public and more people um that can complicate that and also then your um how to i guess my question would be does does um communicating to the public what is going on uh how does that change now that it's become a, a public manhunt well i mean you just take you take advantage of different resources with nixel and social media and everything else today and, and you leverage the mainstream media you call your local radios and that that's why Police departments and sheriff's offices have uh, press information officers, PIOs, so they can distribute that information and leverage the entire communications network to spread the word. Um, you know, the, the the biggest challenge though becomes manpower. If, if you're if you're trying to set up a perimeter, uh, and and you have to block every road or have eyes on every road away from the location within a certain distance, how many people does that take? And does does every agency have the manpower for that? They really don't. And then if you ask the citizens to get involved in helping you look, you can't put them in harm's way. So you have to, on one hand, encourage them to stay someplace safe. On the other hand, keep your eyes open. And if you see something, say something, right? And then mm -hmm. this is going to become an even bigger problem or a larger challenge. 
Uh, one of the things we've talked about in the past is the growing number of legally armed citizens, good guys. Um, if if they are, you know, um, Harry homeowner is leaving the hardware store. He's got his gun on. He's on his way home. He hears on the radio such and such and so and show committed this crime. We're looking for him. Here's the lookout in this area. And then he, the, you know, the driver looks over and sees this guy walking up the side of the road with his hands in his pockets. Does he keep on going? Dial nine one one. Does he stop to try to keep this person uh, in in sight? Does he have to do a U turn and follow the guy? Does it become obvious? Does he have to engage the guy? Do we get in a position where we have a good guy holding a bad guy at gunpoint, and now you have two people not in uniform? You don't know who's who, and the officers show up, and you got a guy, somebody who's wanted for a shooting. And then you have another guy who's got a gun in his hand, but we don't know, you know, depending on the descriptions, there could be some confusion here. Any given day, I'm wearing tan boots, jeans, and a T-shirt of some color. And what's your average other person out there wearing? You know, I mean, it, how how easy would it be for law enforcement to confuse good guy versus bad guy? And we better plan and prepare for that because, like I said, the number of legally armed citizens who want to be proactive and honestly, the way we're having these progressive prosecutors and judges and everybody else and and, uh, you know, criminals that are arrested for violent crimes and then let out on uh, their own personal recognizance, they're not held on bail or bond. They're not held in prison, waiting trial, any of that. The, the number of citizens that are going to start having to deal with criminals whether it's legally, I'm not saying vigilanteism, but I mean, it, it, the numbers are, it's inevitable that the number of conflicts is going to go up and we better figure out how to identify good guys from bad guys really quick. Moving on to our next story, we go to New Jersey. Um, a couple has been arrested. Uh, what police are saying, uh, they were going out uh, targeting police, looking to, um, attack police officers. And in this case, they uh, rammed a police vehicle several times, injuring the canine uh, inside, um, as well as uh, it, it seemed like um, some officers might have been injured as well, but they they were minor injuries. Um, in this case, uh, according to reports, uh, the couple went out driving and basically was trying to uh, get police in a situation where that this could happen. Um, it, it got to the point where they were driving around town um, and they drawing attention. Right. And drawing attention, drove back home, started yelling at them. And that's when they began driving the cars at uh, driving the car at them. Um, and now, yeah, this is the first time I've I've, I've seen where uh, that the that officer been targeted and then a uh, vehicle has been used as as the weapon uh, in this case as a deadly weapon. Well, um, this is the first time it makes national news. It happens true. all the time. Um, I I know officers personally who have been struck by uh, by bad guys in cars who have been dragged by by people trying to run away in their cars. Um, it, it to have a husband wife team plan it that's a new one on me um they they ought to be charged if there is a law in new jersey uh that's applicable to harming a new jersey law enforcement officer they ought to be charged with that because of uh whatever the maximum crime they can be charged with because the canines 
warrant officer too. Um, people laugh and they're like, oh, it's just a dog. I got news for you. Tell a Marine that his bomb dog that spent, you know, nine months in Fallujah uh, is just a dog and you're going to catch holy yeah. hell because that dog's a Marine and that's how they view him. Um, I, I view our canines the same way. The, these people went out and attacked human police officers and a canine police officer. Um, they're, they, you know, they, this is just evil. I mean, we, I don't care how angry they are about anything. And there's plenty of people out here hate the police, but they acted on it. Uh, yeah, it's interesting. It made mainstream media, you know, national news. But what did the cops do that was so bad that these people took these, you know, a vehicle weighing thousands of pounds, used as a weapon, is a weapon, and, and they went out about attacking all these officers. It, this, it, I hope, I hope that they get the book thrown at them and they get treated accordingly. Yeah, it, it, there's just, it, it, and for a couple to sit and talk about this is something that they're going to do on a Saturday night or whenever. Um, yeah, it just, it, yeah, it just uh, beyond belief. Uh, you know, apparently the degree. neighbors thought these people were jerks as well. I mean, they, they were apparently just <laughs> piss poor neighbors, but the, the people who lived around this couple that attacked the police, uh, apparently a number of the neighbors have filed complaints with the courts. Um, you know, when, when you're a jerk, it, it, it's not just the police saying these people were bad people. Their neighbors are saying they're bad people. Maybe we ought to believe they're bad people. Yeah. Sticking with the vehicle theme, moving to our next story. And uh, please, I, I did go on the website um, and look at the video. It, I almost felt watching this is kind of like a horror film. It, you expected the Jaws theme to come on and uh, uh a Virginia police officer uh, escaped um, serious injury um, recently when an out-of-control car came careening across a median um, and slammed into him and another vehicle during a traffic stop. Uh, his his dashboard camera caught it. You can see in the distance the car. Um, in the other lane of traffic, just suddenly starting to spin out of control as the officer um, is on the um, passenger side of the vehicle that he had stopped um, talking to uh, people in uh, inside that vehicle. And you just see this car coming at high rates of speed. I, I want to say it, it was in excess of 100 miles per hour that this teenager was driving at the time when he lost control. Um, and it, it, it slams into the vehicle and the, in, into the vehicle that was stopped as well as the vehicle, uh, or as well as the officer's cruiser. Um, it, it's, it's astounding that he escaped any injury. Um, and again, it shows just how dangerous traffic stops well, can be. He didn't escape any, he escaped well, it's serious. serious injury. All right. And that's a miracle in and of itself. But, and I don't know how fast that 17-year-old was driving. I think it's amazing he's only going to be charged with reckless driving, um, I think is what the article said. Uh, yeah, reckless driving charges. So what what happened to reckless endangerment? What happened to attempted vehicular manslaughter? What happened to all this? I mean, you go out and you drive a vehicle like an utter idiot and going over 100 miles an hour. I mean, he's 17. He's young. He's immature. Um, you know, this, this is a, an argument some politician will make about why we should raise the licensing age to 18. 
uh, or 21 or whatever they feels necessary and, and supercilious. But um, it, this kid comes across the, the median and he's already spinning out on the median. Two more lanes of traffic. There's lucky there's no more cars were coming on. He to hit them or they to hit him. Um, you know, hits this this vehicle that the officer has stopped. And it, it's all about timing. If the officer had been between the car he had pulled over and the guardrail next to him, he may well have been killed or crippled for life. Uh, so, you know, there there's the there's the thank God for small favors. It wasn't more serious. But this 17 year old getting a, a, a citation, essentially, for reckless driving isn't going to teach him a damn thing. He needs to lose his license. And I don't mean for six months. I mean, if you're 17, you're a licensed driver, you go out and you do something so insanely dangerous that you just don't need to drive. There's public transportation for that. Uh, and I would hope that spinning at a high rate of speed like he did and slamming into two vehicles uh, is, is enough to teach him any lesson, too. Um, well... You would hope he's intelligent enough to learn that lesson, but going over 100 miles an hour around a curve and losing control might argue against having that level of intelligence. But anyway, that, I'm glad that the officer true. wasn't more seriously injured. And I'm glad the people he stopped weren't more seriously injured. I trust that the vehicle being driven by the 17-year-old is properly insured, and that insurance company is going to cover everything for everybody. Of course, that may or may, or may not be true. Anyway. On to our next story. Um the NYPD is um, has introduced a six month pilot program um, to allow flexible scheduling for roughly 400 of its officers. Um, they will be allowed to work 10 or 12 hour shifts. And it's part of an effort by the department to increase morale, but also to stop uh, the exodus of veteran uh, officers leaving. Um, you're, You've seen this all around uh, the country with other departments as well, um, finding different ways to to try to to, to keep their ranks, um, and um, this was this is a, a move that uh, the Police Benevolent Association um, it, it has is supporting and um, hoping that it, it it extends past the pilot program. They're being really polite, Joe. And here's why, because their statement should have been, it's about damn time. And I don't, I don't mean any criticism of, of New York Police Department, okay? Let's keep in mind something. New York Police Department's the largest police department in the country, if not in the world. The 34, 35,000 of them, they're bigger than most small towns, and that's just the police department. But to also put this in perspective, when I was working in the early 90s, we were working 10-hour shifts. And when you think about it, there's two really good reasons for this. One you get a, an extra day off. So if you're working four 10-hour days, you get a three-day break in, in any given work week, right? That extra day can go a long way towards stress management, family life, quality of life in general. And if you're working 12-hour shifts, usually there's a two-week pay period. So how many 12-hour shifts do you have to work to get to that 80 hours in that two-week period, right? Mm -hmm. um, you only have to work seven out of 14 days so it's it I mean, it's not set up as every other day but it's like having every other day off when you work in 12-hour shifts this has been going on for a long time the benefits of it have been demonstrated for 30 years at least 
um, if not longer. Now, it's a challenge for an agency the size of New York with as many moving parts as they have. But I think that Police Benevolent Association's right. I think PBA is, is they're going to see this become uh, – it's not going to be a pilot program. It's going to become an approved way of doing things. Some of the commands, the patrol commands, some of the um, – community services command, some of the other things, they're going to see these just become the norm. Um, it, for, for special operations, probably not. Uh, you know, for the people working school resource work, probably not. But for the guys that are out there and, and the girls, the people in uniform on the street doing patrol, doing traffic, stuff like that, those, those 10 to 12 hour shifts are going to go a long way towards improving morale because it'll improve quality of life. And, and it's good to see it going on. A lot of agencies in this country watch what New York does. And when they see this, if those smaller agencies have been avoiding it and they have the manpower to do it, they'll do it. Now, one last thing on this. Uh -huh. um, fair labor law, right? We If, if you're an hourly employee, you, get, you don't get overtime until you work more than 40 hours, right? Some law enforcement officers are actually, I mean, they're hourly employees. They don't get paid overtime unless they work, I want to say it's 100 and like 171 hours in a 28 day period so you can work 100 hours this week but then if you only work 20 next week and the week after that and the week after that you don't get overtime unless your contract for, you know forces your employer to pay it if you have a, an employment contract through the fop or whatever so these 10 and 12 hour shifts also help manage overtime which is a mixed blessing it means you don't get that extra in your paycheck but you're not being forced to do double shifts either and, and much and, and, and overtime costs was a uh, was also one of the um reasons that they they the department was looking at this is because they have been seeing those skyrocket and um and there was a report um that also came out this week uh, uh that a watchdog group um had had said that they they were seeing overtime um larger overtime these increases in overtime um it, uh, affecting the safety of the officers because they they were they were just working too much because they were having to fill holes so um yeah hopefully this this helps um helps the overall staffing issue with the NYPD it, it inevitably will and that's why i'm saying it is the pilot program by the time they're in the fifth month they'll be going let's let's make this permanent let's figure out how to do this across a larger swath of people and just make it a permanent program. And finally, we come to really one of my favorite stories of, if not the week, pretty much the month. Um, in Pennsylvania, a Villanova University senior decided he wanted to help out by giving a lift to uh, an officer who was engaged in a foot chase. Um, the officer's body cam actually recorded all of this, but um, this is the this reminded me of the TV shows and the movies where you would see, you'll see a, a an officer you know commandeer a vehicle you know flash a badge and say hey I need to use your car and 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 go off in a chase. Um, I I I just I I love that. Um, <laughs> that the the senior that this college student decided hey i wanted to help out i i figured he needed a, he needed a ride and um i, I yeah. stopped 
got in. I it was Frank. I would need to ask you while you were an officer, did you ever have anyone offer you a a, a ride um, while you were in a chase? No, I didn't. <laughs> However, um, it was not uncommon in some of the places I worked for the good citizens of the area to pull up not close to Willie. Like if I had somebody I was dealing with, they wouldn't pull up close, but they, they pull up where they could respond reasonably quick. If that makes sense. Like if I was on mm -hmm. one side of the road on a traffic stop, they would stop on the other side of the road in a parking lot or whatever. Um, and I didn't worry about them watching. I didn't worry about them being there. They weren't pulling out their cell phone camera, trying to catch me doing something wrong. I finished with the traffic stop or whatever and go over and greet them and, you know, Hey, what can I do for you? And they're like, you can't do anything for me. I was just stopping to make sure you're okay. You know, if, if something went sideways, I wanted to be here to help. There's a lot of good citizens in this country that back our law enforcement 100%. And I love when we see stories about any of them. And this is a good one. I love the fact that it's a Jeep because I'm a Jeep guy. <laughs> but, I mean, you know, student says, hey, want to ride? And the officer's like, well, you know what? The fastest person in the world can only run 17 miles an hour. Let me hop in this car and uh, sure, drop me off over here and we'll get this guy. It, it's, uh, it's, it's heartening to see. And I like the chief's response. The chief said, hey, uh, to the student, he says, if the finance degree doesn't work out, we're looking for good officers. These kids' hearts obviously in the right place. Exactly. And it's, it is, it's someone seeing um, – is seeing something where they can they can contribute and and stepping up. Yes. Got to love it. That's all we have this week. Again, thank you very much for tuning in to the podcast. Um please drop by again next week. We'll be back. Uh Frank, uh enjoy it again. I think I'm going to head out and enjoy uh weather that's now in the 60s. So yeah, you make me jealous. I'm not in the 60s yet, but I'm getting there. Thanks for the time, Joe. Everybody listening, stay safe. Take care. Thank you for listening to this week's episode of The Lineup. Please remember, the opinions voiced are not those of Officer Media Group or Endeavor Business Media, but only those speaking those opinions themselves. Thank you and stay safe.